Villas Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. You know what time it is, right? It's time for me to ask you to give one more round of applause to everybody that participated this morning. Helping us worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are embarking upon a new sermon series. We begin it fresh today. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's who we want to be focusing on. The coming of Jesus. Over the next four weeks, we are going to celebrate the Christ in Christmas. Now, I know everybody says that Jesus is the reason for the season, right? We hear that. Let's keep Christ in Christmas. But let's celebrate. These next four weeks, let's celebrate the Christ in Christmas. Let's celebrate our Messiah. The reason why Christmas is Christmas is because our Messiah has come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for everything that you are doing. We... Just marvel at your work. These next few weeks, I just pray that we can focus on you. I pray that we can be a church that encourages each other and you and your work and what you have done. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go and throw this up there real quick. I had a 15-year-old ask me, this morning, not going to name any names, he said, what is this picture doing in the slides this morning? Well, we give you the said picture. Now, some of you look at I just heard, oh, ooh. Wait, wait, hold on. Are you comparing our president to Hitler? Is that what you think I'm doing right now? Now, I know that there's some of you here that are happy that I'm probably maybe potentially comparing our president to Hitler. There's some of you that are offended. You're like, wait, how dare you? I voted for that man. All right, before we uh, get ahead of ourselves, let's slow down a little bit. Now, I'm sure that the artist that put this picture together had the wrong intentions in mind, but there's a reason why we have this for you this morning. Do you know what each of these men have in common? I mean, you're looking at the current president of the United States, Hitler and Mussolini. Do you know what these men have in common? Actually, do you know what some of the most pol effective political leaders in the history of the world have in common? Not just these men. In fact, if you ask me, I would say our last few presidents, maybe our last two for sure, which are two totally different political parties, have the same thing in common. And I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Because I think sometimes when we hear this word, we think, wait, wait, hold on, that's a terrible word. I would never want you to throw that label on the man that I voted for. But hold on a second. That label, if we think about it, isn't as bad as what you might think. But it can be. Now, the label that we're talking about is this. It's what all these men have in common. They're all demagogues. Not demigods. Not demigods, but demagogues. Now, see, 
some of you might want to ask yourself the question. I know that I do from time to time, and I love dictionary.com so I can figure out the definition of a word. What is a demagogue? The definition of a demagogue is this. Not my definition. This is the Webster's. It's a person, especially an orator or political leader, who gains popularity by arousing the emotions, passions, and prejudices of people. See, in my opinion, all leaders, all leaders must be somewhat of a demagogue. All leaders must be somewhat of a demagogue. See, being a demagogue isn't really the problem. Which is why I'm confident throwing this photo up with these men and saying, whether or not you think that they're all in the same boat or in the same category, or you think that some of these men shouldn't be associated with one another, that doesn't matter. Because that's not the problem. See, being a demagogue isn't really the problem until the demagogue actually takes on what is known as a messiah complex. That's the problem. So what's a messiah complex? The definition of a messiah complex is this. It's when an individual believes they're destined to be a certain people group's savior. That's the problem. It's when an individual does this, but basically they believe that they're responsible for saving and assisting others. So you want to think about this next question. Do you know what the real problem is? The real problem is not the demagogue. That's not the real problem. No matter what you think of these individuals that you see right now, they are not the problem. The problem is us. And we tend to forget that, don't we? It's our choice as to whether or not a political leader becomes a demagogue in our ears. That's our choice. So no matter what you think of whoever it is that's president or whatever politician you vote for, whether or not they are a demagogue, that is on you, not them. But we're pretty good at casting it back on them, forgetting about ourselves. It's our choice as to whether or not a political leader becomes our Messiah. Church, it's okay to harbor your own political views. I know some of you here personally. All of us have various views. We're all diverse here. Nobody here thinks alike. It's okay to vote your conscience. That's fine. That's not what we're talking about. But no matter your views, no matter who you vote for, please remember that all demagogues and those who have a Messiah complex promise the exact same thing that they're all incapable of delivering. No man is capable of delivering on the promise that all demagogues promise their people. And that promise is this. They promise peace. There is only one who can bring us peace. And he doesn't need to be a demagogue in order to achieve it. And as for a Messiah complex, 
it's kind of hard to have a complex about something that you just naturally are. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning, The Promised King. The Promised King. Today we're going to be in Micah. We remain in the Old Testament. This is our third week in a row. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. If you have your Bible with you this morning, please feel free to follow along. All of the verses will be on the screen for you this morning. And as we say that, let's get into this text. Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. O muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid waste against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, huh, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore you shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor gives birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty, in the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Amen. When we look at all these verses this morning, we put them into this one simple sentence, and that sentence is this. God promised that the king of the universe will come from Bethlehem to bring peace to earth. God promised that the king of the universe will come from Bethlehem to bring peace to earth. Have you ever thought of a tree's roots? And all the several purposes that a tree's roots serve that tree. One purpose of the tree's roots is to anchor the tree, to hold it secure. Another is to draw nutrients and water from the soil so the tree can grow. The roots of a tree also help to stabilize and to prevent erosion from land over time. And did you know that Jesus himself and King David, you know David with the sling and Goliath, did you know that both Jesus and David share the same roots? They are on the same root system. Both David and Jesus were what? Born in Bethlehem. David ruled over Israel. Jesus is the ruler of Israel. Jesus has to be rooted and anchored in David. And this is important. It's important that this had to happen because it's solidified by God's promise to David. And just let me read this. This will not be on the screen. This is from 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 10. And this is why we know that this is so important. God's promise is this. He's talking about Jesus. He says, He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Ever. We see the prophecy of these roots in our first two verses this morning. Verses 1 and 2 from chapter 5 right here in Micah. O muster your troops, O daughter of troops, siege is laid waste against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, 
who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Look at the very first verse, and look at the end of verse 1. What does it say? It says, with a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Who's being referenced here as the judge of Israel? Who is it that's being referenced? When we look at this text, we understand that King Zedekiah is the one who was struck on the cheek. See, Babylon at this time defeated Jerusalem in about 597 B.C. That's before Christ. So 597 years before Jesus was born to Mary in Bethlehem, Zedekiah was struck on the cheek. And the king of Neo-Babylonian army was one Nebuchadnezzar. And he was the one that did this because he propped Zedekiah up to the throne after the Babylonians declared victory over Israel. So Zedekiah was only king because Nebuchadnezzar said, you are king. But however, nine years later, all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar struck him on the cheek. Well, he didn't do it himself. He had his men go and strike him on the cheek. But why? Why would he prop a man up to be king and then nine years later have him struck on the cheek? See, Zedekiah bit from the hand that was feeding him. He rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar. And let's ask the more important question then, if we know that this is true. Because the more important question is this, why is all of this significant? As I read in the text this morning, if, I, if I'm reading God's Word, why is this so important? Why do I need to know this bit of information? See, Zedekiah is part of the root system. He's part of that same root system of Judah. The roots of Judah begin with King David and go through 20 other leaders, including Zedekiah, who was the last to have ruled Judah, because he wasn't ruling anymore. He got struck on the cheek. His day was done. Do you recognize what we're seeing here and why this is so important? David is Israel's answer to peace. Zedekiah surely wasn't Israel's answer for peace. So let's not forget the one who this root system was developed for. The one who can get this root system to where it needs to go, which is to do what? Where does the root system need to go? It needs to go to the source to dig into the soil, to find the water so the whole tree can grow. Who's going to get Israel as well as the rest of the entire world to that source? Where does true growth come from? Jesus. The Bible says in Revelation 5 that Jesus is the Lion of Judah, the Root of David. Don't you just love that? Don't you love how you can see something in the Old Testament that was written almost 600 years before Jesus was born to Mary in Bethlehem be backed up with what John wrote well after Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, and revelation is connected? 
Do you know what Zedekiah was? When you think about it, do you know what Zedekiah really was? Starts with a D. Not Democrat. Whoever laughed the loudest is really truly a Republican here. That loud laugh I heard the first time didn't laugh this time. He was a demagogue. Just like Nebuchadnezzar and just like everyone else, he played to the emotions, passions, and prejudices of the people. And now Micah has made him nothing more than a mere reminder, a reminder that Israel needs a Messiah. And I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar got rid of him for doing just that because in those nine years, Zedekiah changed his convictions. He changed who he was loyal to. He wasn't loyal to Nebuchadnezzar anymore. He started listening to the people. He wanted to start telling them what they wanted to hear so he could stay and remain in power. And Nebuchadnezzar had to come back in and say, no, 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 I defeated Israel. You didn't. I propped you up. You are done. He is nothing more than a mere reminder for all of us, no matter who reads this text, of our need for Jesus. Church, your favorite politician should do the same for you today. I don't care who you vote for. I don't care who you voted for. I don't care who you're going to vote for. They're not your Savior. They're not your Messiah. Use them. Allow them to remind you of how much you need Jesus. Now, the shortcomings of mankind in verse 1 set the stage for the prediction made in verse 2. Verse 2 says, O Bethlehem, you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. Who was born in Bethlehem? Well, that's easy. Jesus was, wasn't he? Now, let's look at the end of verse 2 where it says, Whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. See, Jesus didn't just show up at his birth. And we should know a thing or two about that because this summer we spent some time discovering where Jesus showed up in the Old Testament. Remember, we went through seven different times, even though there's more than seven, seven times that Jesus showed up before his birth. Isn't this awesome? Micah knows this. As a prophet, he knew that Jesus had showed up previously before he was even born in Bethlehem. He has been since the beginning. Church, No political leader who has ever come, no political leader who is here already, no political leader who will come will ever be able to offer us what Jesus offered us upon the cross. So when you think about that, what do you think about political leaders today? And think about that as we look at our first point this morning. And our first point this morning is this. Since the beginning, God knew who would be the predecessors to his earthly reign. Think about that. Since the beginning, since the beginning, God knew who was going to be the predecessors to his earthly reign. It doesn't matter if you line up demagogue after demagogue after demagogue. It didn't surprise the Lord. He knew what matters is who will reign in the end. And that's what we're being encouraged by this morning. 
And let's not forget our main point. Our main point this morning for our text is this. God promised that the king of the universe will come from Bethlehem to bring peace to earth. God promised that the king of the universe will come from Bethlehem to bring, bring peace to earth. Living in southwest Florida, we know a thing or two about the devastation caused by hurricanes. The hurricane itself really is not that bad. I mean, I've been through one hurricane. Some of you have been through multiple hurricanes over the years. The hurricane itself really isn't that bad. It's the devastation afterwards, isn't it? After Irma went through, I realized, like, wow, this is taking a long time to get cleaned up. That's the most devastating part, but it's because the winds range between 74 to over 156 miles per hour. There's rain, thunder, and lightning, and, and they're always accompanied by strong winds that spin off small tornadoes within the hurricane. And amazingly, though, as chaotic as a hurricane can be, the stillest, most peaceful part of the massive storm is right smack dab in the middle. Right smack dab in the middle of the hurricane is the most peaceful part of the storm. Peace in these massive storms is found in the eye, the perfect calm. All this chaos brewing around, and in that eye, in that eye, you find peace. As for the storms of life, let's face it, we all struggle with them, don't we? Individually, we all have things that we're struggling with right now. In the storms of life, the Lord himself is our center. He is our center. He is our peace, even in the darkest of life's storms. And we're promised exactly that in our final three verses here, verses three through five. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor gives birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty in the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure for now. He shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. As far as verse 3 is concerned, we can ascertain that this pertains to Israel. One commentator gives us some amazing perspective, and I'm just going to read his words. He says this, he says, God plans to give them a ruler, therefore he will only give them up until a ruler is born. See, it's like this. Israel rejects their Messiah, okay? Israel rejects their Messiah, therefore God gives them up to be dominated by their enemies, at the second coming of Jesus, what does it say here? It says, the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. See, we're in the age of the church right now. That's the age that we're in. And this is a reference here in Micah to a future event. The labor is not Mary's birth to Jesus. This is still yet to come. Verse 3 is referencing a time when Jesus will return for his millennial reign, his thousand-year reign, as king here on earth. That's the reason why the title for today's sermon is The Promised King. What's going to happen during his millennial reign then? If Jesus comes back for a thousand year reign, what happens during this millennial reign? Well, the answer is right here in our text. And if we look at verse 4, we can see it very clearly because he will definitely, what? Shepherd his flock. He'll do so 
in the strength of the Lord. He'll do so in the majesty, in the name of the Lord his God. His people will what? Dwell secure. So what is he doing for us who know him now? If we see this as a future event to come, what is he doing for us now? Is that a fair question for us to ask? Lord, what are you doing for us now? Oh, that's right, all of the above. Everything mentioned here, even though it's a future event, he's doing for us right now. Then how come we cannot see the forest from the trees? Do you struggle with that? I, I do. I have many days where I can't see the forest from the trees. Knowing that all of the above is true, I need to be reminded of who Jesus is in my life. Some days we are no better than the Jews who rejected Jesus. We have a particular saying in the United States, don't we? I think it goes something like, God, family, country, guns. Is that right? God, family, country, guns. We, we like to say that. Unfortunately, we, we kind of get it twisted. Because a lot of times, I, I think we live like it's family, country, guns, then God. And the more we see our nation shape up, there's really no God at all. It's kind of family, country, guns, right? If we continue to live like that, we're all in trouble. We're all in trouble. See, have you not noticed what's really going on here? As sinful humans, we kind of have a tendency to hold on to things that we think are going to give us security, but they really don't. Do you know why? We're in trouble. If we live like that, the, the real reason why we're in trouble if we live like that. See, if we live our lives like that, like it's family, country, guns, and then God, or no God at all, we're really in trouble because the next demagogue is just waiting in the wings to be born. And then we go back and say, it's not about the demagogue as much as it is about me and who I allow to be in my ear. The demagogue's not the problem. Again, we're the problem. They'll speak emotion into our life. They'll speak into our passions. They'll speak into our prejudices. But we must be like the Jews, or not like the Jews, shall I say. Excuse me. We must not be like the Jews who rejected Jesus because he didn't deliver them from Rome. That's why he was rejected. Oh, you are who you say you are? Then how come we're under Rome's occupation? He alone is our shepherd. He alone is our strength. And his name alone is majestic in our lives. Just like it will be one day for all of Israel. But it is for us now. Because we are in the church age. In him alone, we all dwell secure. Especially 
within the chaotic storms we find our lives to be. He is the eye of our storm. In him, we find complete and utter stillness and peace despite what is going on. And I don't know about you, when you watch the news, I'm not encouraged. And I hope you're not either. But I hope you're encouraged by what Micah is telling us here this morning. So as Mike comes up, I want to just look at this last verse. In fact, what I would like to do as Mike comes up, I want to exercise or do an exercise together collectively. I would like for all of us to read verse 5 aloud. I think it will be a great exercise, and it's a great reminder for us. So let's do that together. Let's all read Micah chapter 5, verse 5 together. And he shall be their peace. Let's do that again. He shall be their peace. He is our peace. He's our peace now. He's our peace to come. Church, listen. You would be wise to follow current events. I love that we have youth in this church that said, wait, what are you doing? Why do you have this photo? Why are you going to share this photo for everybody to see? I, I love it. We can't be scared by what's going on in this world, especially when we know who our Messiah is. Some of you might be saying, I, I don't know, I just can't really watch the news. It's too negative for me. It's just so depressing. I don't know if I really want to get involved. I'd like to kind of stay away from it. You're right, it, it is, it's depressing, it's negativity. But Micah wrote what he wrote in verses 1 through 5 in chapter 5 of his prophecy because Jesus is the antidote to this world's depression. Which is why Micah predicts what we just read aloud. He shall be their peace. Allow me to give you a quick timeline slash guideline of what's going to happen what's really being talked about here in the text. First, Jesus has been since the beginning. He was who he was before he was born to Mary. Second, he was born in Bethlehem just to be rejected by his own. Third, his good news of salvation made its way to our ears, therefore making us the church age. Fourth, he's going to rapture us. He's going to rapture us, his church, prior to what's gonna happen fifth. He'll return to begin his millennial reign on earth, and we will reign alongside him, which is the point Micah is trying to make here. And we're fortunate to have seen this much come true so far. Think about that. Think about how much of Micah's prophecy has already come true. When he talks about the birth that he talks about in this text, he's not talking about Jesus and his birth from Mary, Micah and his prophecy is coming true. We're seeing all this play out. He's talking about his second coming, and we didn't know about his second coming until he told us there was going to be one. And this is being backed up in the Old Testament. So you're telling me the Old Testament backs up what Jesus said in the New Testament? You darn bet you it did. 
So that leaves us really with two questions this morning. If we know that this is true, if we can see a prophecy in the Old Testament, if we can look at what we looked at this morning and say, hey, one of the guys that I saw this morning, I voted for him, and now you're calling him a demigod. So what? Does it really matter? It would only matter if we called Jesus a demigod. That's the only one that actually matters because nobody's going to bring us peace. In fact, we may not see peace moving forward. I know you don't see peace in your everyday life now. Not one of us in here does. So if you can't get your own life figured out, you think the government's going to figure it out for you? It's all about Jesus. That's why we started off this morning saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So two questions this morning as we leave. And in these questions, seriously, think about this. We just saw the Old Testament predict what's yet to come. And we know the story of salvation. We know Jesus is coming back. Micah knew. So I'm asking myself these questions. Ask yourself these questions. And the first question is this. What do you know about Jesus? What is it right now in your growth, in your stage of knowing who Jesus is? What do you know about him now? And secondly, what are you doing to help spread this message? That's our one and only job. If we live in the church age, and if we know the story of salvation, our one and only job is to share Jesus with others. And this message of salvation brings us to our second and final point this morning. And that is this. Jesus is the peace that not everyone knows. Think about that. Jesus is the peace that not everyone knows. If you know Jesus, you know he's the peace. And if you know that Jesus is the peace, then God wants you to share that truth with others. Jesus is the peace, but not everybody knows that he is. See, go watch current events. Stay up to date with what's going on, but look at it as it pertains to what God has promised is going to happen someday. Don't look at what's going on in current events thinking that it's going to get better and that these people are going to bring you the peace. Because if you do that, you know what you just did? You just allowed a demagogue to be a demagogue. But we can allow demagogues to speak to their own because we get to control who's a demagogue in our ear. Amen? Jesus is far from it. He is who he is. He is Messiah. And it's the reason why we said this this morning, our main point. God promised that the king of the universe will come from Bethlehem to bring, bring peace to earth. One last thing. If Jesus is going to bring peace to earth, if he's going to bring peace to earth, you know what that tells me? This situation that we're in right now isn't going to get any better until he comes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your work upon the cross your word. Lord, I pray that we can be a church that encourages each other in you and what you have done. 
and that we can share this message, that you can use us together collectively to share your good news of salvation with others. Thank you for your death, burial, and resurrection and everything that you have done. We pray all this in Christ's name who makes it possible. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.